0: Share a brand new uh, series for for 2020 with you. You're good. Thank you so much uh, for 2020 with you, called uh, the cost of not. The cost of not. We're starting that out today. I always think a New Year's a great time to really kind of examine our lives, where we're at, where we want to go, and the cost of not is is this new series that we're starting here today. And as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking in reality. There's a a huge cost to not doing things in life. Like there's a huge cost to God putting a desire, a dream, a calling, whatever terminology you want to put on that in your heart and, and ultimately us deciding not to ultimately do that. There is a cost to that. And I started thinking about, like, I'm sure there's married couples in here today. If you're married in here, at some point, if you're if you're a woman, your husband had to get the courage to ask you out on that first date, and they were probably nervous about it. They were probably scared because they didn't want to be rejected, and and they were on the fence. There was that moment of time of saying, "I'm I'm, I'm going to take the risk. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what this desire is on my heart to actually ask this lady out on a date, and the rest is history. You're you're married now. But but think if. If fear overtook that moment and your husband decided not to do it. Now, I know some of you ladies in here are like, oh, my gosh, if only, if only he did not ask me out all the things that would be different. But think about your life. Think about the experiences you've had in life. And all those things wouldn't have existed had there not been that moment where you decided to do what was on your heart to do. I think about my wife. Yesterday, my wife and I celebrated our, our six-year wedding anniversary uh, just yesterday. Um, thank you for the three of you. Six years. Now, we strategically, I'm going to brag on myself, I strategically got married on January 11th, 2014. That date may not be significant to you, but let me explain to you why I did this. January 11, 2014, if you write that out, is one, 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 and then the number four. So it's impossible to forget that. It's four ones and the number four. I'll never forget when our anniversary is. I'll always know exactly how many years we've been married because January 11, 2014, it's a a date I can't forget, and and we celebrate our six-year anniversary yesterday. But I think about that, I think about the cost of not doing something. See, there was a moment in time, and I didn't ask my wife's permission uh, to say this, so I might get in trouble for saying this, but there was a moment that we had our first date. I lived in Northern California, she lived in Northern Arizona, and I flew down to, uh, to Arizona. We are going to go on our first date, but here's the reality. When she left, to, to, when we were going to go out, there was a huge snowstorm that hit that day. In Northern Arizona, believe it or not, if you're not familiar with Arizona, they actually have snow there. It's not all desert. Northern Arizona, it snows a lot. A huge snowstorm had just hit right after she left. In fact, they had closed the roads moments after she had left. Now, I want you to imagine, first date, if I'm down there and my wife was to call me up, and and again, this would have been true, but I don't know that I would have thought it was true. And she said, you know what? Hey, I'm so sorry, but there's a huge snowstorm and they just close the roads. I'm not going to be able to make it down. Well, I probably would have been like, oh, she's just not interested. And I would have went back and, and, never came, and never came back. There was that moment in time. Or maybe the snowstorm was so bad that she says, I can't even make it. I'm just going to have to turn around. Same deal. I probably would have been like, oh, she's just not that interested. And that's it. There's that moment in time where, where we have to say, are we going to do it or are we not going to do it? And, and had that happened, I think about the six years that we've spent together, and all of that would have been gone. I think about our daughter, Isabella, who who only sleeps during church. It's amazing how she does that. We're hoping one day she's going to sleep at night too, but but right now she's got church nailed. She is asleep from the moment church starts until it ends, and then after that she's like, all right, time to get up. But all that would have been gone if we just decided not to do that. There's a cost to not doing something. See, the reality is, is God has put a a dream, a a desire, a calling in all of our hearts. And we have the decision in life whether to do it or not do it. It's up to us. But there is a cost to not doing it. There's a whole experience, a whole life that we never would even know exists if we say we're not going to do it. I want to start today in a moment similar to that. It's a a high point in the Bible. It's a moment where the Israelites have just been led out of Egypt by, by Moses and I'm sure as they're leaving Egypt, they're they're so excited. They're like, oh, my God, look what God has done. We're free. This guy Moses has freed us. Like, this is amazing. It's like this huge, huge moment of excitement. But all of a sudden, some dark clouds are going to start to come. See, they find themselves in a moment where there's a Red Sea in front of them, and they can't go further. They're stuck. So they're like, well, we'll just turn around, and we'll find an alternate route. But there's a problem. The Egyptian army has now decided, you know what, we don't want you guys to go. We're going to go out there and we're going to recapture you. And if we don't recapture you, then we'll just kill you. So now on one side, they have the sea, they can't go forward. And on another side, they have the Egyptian army coming in and they're completely stuck. And now this guy Moses, who they were cheering so much saying, man, he's delivered us. God has delivered us. Now they start to get mad at him. They say, Moses, why'd you lead us out of Egypt? Was it just so we would die right here in the desert? And Moses looks at them and says, stand firm. Stand firm. You need to trust God. Have faith. Today, God is going to deliver you from the hands of the Egyptians. It's such confidence in the face of such adversity. It's such a moment of faith. And all of a sudden, God speaks to Moses. We find in Exodus 14, 16, and he tells Moses to to raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. It's this crazy thing that God tells Moses to do. He's going to walk into, into the edge of the Red Sea. He's going to just hold out his arms, and somehow this sea is going to part in half. Again, rational thought here. This is impossible to happen. Moses can decide to do it, or to not, but he decides, I'm going to trust God, and he walks forward, and he raises his staff, and as he does that, just as God commanded, the sea starts to part, and the Israelites walk through the sea on on dry ground, and I want to start in this moment here today, because we have this picture of, of Moses' arms raised up in victory, like, say, an Olympic athlete that's been training all their life for an event, and they've just won that gold medal, It's a moment of victory. It's the high point of of life. But let me tell you, it wasn't always that way for Moses. Let us bow our heads and pray and invite the Holy Spirit just to do what only he can do. Lord Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together here this morning. Father, in the few moments that we have left, I just pray that you would anoint this message that you would speak through me, Lord. For I know that every idle word that I speak apart from you, Lord, I'm just a clanging cymbal. But if you'll speak through me here today, then you can change hearts, you can change lives, you can change the whole trajectory of our life. And I pray that you do what only you can do. Father, I pray specifically for those that are going through a tough time right now, things that make no sense at all, that today you're going to give them a special touch from you. You're going to teach them, Lord God, that they can trust you in all circumstances, even when things don't make sense. Father, bless and anoint this time. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Has God ever called you to do something that on the surface, when you think about it, you're completely unqualified to do it? Now, again, if you want to call it a calling, a dream, a desire, whatever terminology you want to use. But has God ever do it, done that for you where he's called you to do something? When you look at it, you say, you know what? I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, financially well off enough. I don't have the means to be able to do this. But, but God's put this calling, this desire, this dream on your heart for a reason. But you just look at it and you say, there's just no way I could do this. It's impossible. Now, there's two things that people do more commonly than not. Whenever God calls them to do something, they realize they're completely unqualified to do. The first thing that they do, and most common, is they start to make excuses why they can't do it. And they take that dream, that desire, and they bury it in the ground, and they run the other way. It's dead. It's gone. They don't even want to come back to it because they're like, there's just no way. It's just going to break my heart because there's no way that I could accomplish this. That's the most frequent thing and common thing that they do. The second thing that that people do is they realize they're unqualified for the calling and all of a sudden they start to try to qualify themselves. They start to to try to justify how they could do it in their own strength, in their own power. Those are the two things that they try to do when God calls you to do something that you know you're completely unqualified to do. Moses lived a completely unqualified life. Do you realize that Moses wasn't even qualified to be alive? See, during Moses' time as a baby, the Pharaoh has decided that the Israelites, there's just too many of them, and he makes this horrible, horrible decree where he says, I want all the babies to be killed. All the Israelite babies are going to be killed. And Moses is part of that crew of babies, that group of babies. He's part of that group. But we know the story. His mom takes him and puts him in a basket and floats him on down the river. And as God would have it, it's Pharaoh's daughter that finds Moses. And she takes him out of that basket and says, I'm going to raise him as if he's my own. And he gets raised in the palace. But here's the reality. He wasn't qualified to be raised in the palace because he wasn't a royal. But he also wasn't even qualified to be part of his own race because he, he was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew, but he wasn't a slave like them. He didn't have the same experiences as them. He wasn't qualified to be in that palace, but he wasn't qualified even to be part of his own race. He wasn't qualified to be the one that God chose to be the deliverer of Israel because he was a sinner. He murdered an Egyptian. See, there was that moment where where Moses decides, hey, I'm Hebrew. I'm going to be with my people. And he goes there and he, with best intentions, tries to protect someone that's, that's being abused by one of the Egyptians. But in his best efforts, he kills that person. And He leaves for 40 years. That was the last time he's ever in Egypt. He wasn't the one that God should choose because, man, he was a murderer. When he's having that moment with God at the burning bush, he says, I'm not even the one that's qualified to speak to Pharaoh because God's saying, hey, you're going to have to go to the Pharaoh. Let him know, hey, you got to release my people. Moses says, I can't do that because I'm a stutter. He's like, I can't even talk right. How in the world am I going to go in front of Pharaoh and tell him to let us go when I can't even speak well? He's not even the one that should lead Israel out of Egypt because he's also 80 years old. I know I said this a few weeks ago, but man, if you're 80 years old, you know you've got an arthritic hip. You're not, how far do I got to walk? Is there a golf cart? Is there, I, I, come on, I'm 80 years old, God. He was completely unqualified for the calling. But yet God chose Moses and he chooses you here today. He's put something in your heart, something in your mind, and he says, I'm putting this in there because I know you're not qualified to do it, but I truly intend for you to do it. And we all come to that moment in time where we have to make a pact with God just to trust him even when nothing makes sense. Man, I'm going to have you walk to the edge of the Red Sea, and I'm just going to have you hold out your arms, and this amazing thing's going to happen. The sea's going to part. I mean, like on the surface, like there's no way, but God did it. And he's going to do it for you as well. He chose Moses. But Moses had that that opportunity to say, no, I just can't do it. And think about all his life experiences. Think about all these things that he would have missed out on. And I wonder what we would miss out on if we just get too afraid and we say, God, I'm not going to do it. Oh, there's a cost to not doing it. See, God calls Moses and, and he appears to him in the form of a burning bush. And Moses is a normal person like you and me. So when God's talking to him, he starts to make all these excuses about, well, I stutter. I can't do that. I'm 80 years old. I don't even have a high standing with the Israelites. Like, like It's not like I was one of their leaders and I'd left for, for a little while. Like I wasn't one of their leaders and I've been gone for 40 years. Pharaoh doesn't even like me, God. Pharaoh wants to kill me and I'm going to go in front of him as a stutter and be like, hey, Let my people go. Like, no way. Like, none of this makes sense. And he starts to do what you and I would do. And we start to say, well, who am I, God? Who am I? I can't do this. Who am I? And right there in the middle of all that, God stops Moses and he says, stop right there. It's not who you are. It's not who you are. It's who I am, Moses. Man, when God puts that thing on your heart, it's not who you are. It's who God is. God says, I know you're unqualified for this calling. I know you're unqualified for this dream, but guess what? It's not your qualifications, it's mine. Together we can do this. God wants you to dream dreams that are so big that you'll absolutely fail if he doesn't intercede. Let me say that again, just in case you missed that. God wants you to dream dreams. He wants you to do things that are so big that you'll absolutely fail. You'll fall on your face, you'll embarrass yourself if he doesn't intercede and do it. And why does he want that? Because he wants the world to be impressed with him and not you. He wants everyone in this world to know, man, Ryan wasn't talented enough. Man, Ryan wasn't smart enough. Ryan wasn't strong. Like, there's no way Ryan could have done that. So surely there must be a God because that is impossible for Ryan to have done that on his own. That's what he wants to do in your life. That's the evidence of God. He wants to do things so fantastic that it will blow your mind. It will blow the minds of the people around you. And in turn, they're going to praise God and say, wow, look at God. Man, Moses didn't part that sea. Moses didn't have any ability to part that sea. God did it. And he'll do it for you as well. He wants you to dream dreams so big that if he doesn't intercede, you're absolutely going to fail. Like I said, sometimes you just got to make a pact with God. You got to say in the middle of all this, God, I'm just going to trust you even though it doesn't make sense, even though I don't see a way, even though I have no idea how I'm gonna do this, I'm just gonna trust you, God. Sometimes you just gotta get God on your boat. You just gotta get God on your boat. See, so here's a moment in the Bible where Peter's been out fishing all night. Now, Peter's an expert fisherman. Peter knows how to fish. Now, I know that Jesus is God, so Jesus is, is all-knowing, okay? But I'm talking about in the context of what they know in this exact moment of time. Peter's the expert fisherman, not Jesus, in that moment of time. Not in reality, in that moment of time. And he's been out all night fishing, and he's caught nothing. He knows where the fish are. He knows how to catch fish. If he doesn't catch anything, it's not because he was doing something wrong. And then Jesus gets on his boat and says, let's go out again. And now Peter knows there was no fish out there. Man, I've been working this whole time. He knows there's no fish. He says, Jesus, because you've asked me to, I'm going to go. And he goes out there knowing there's no fish, but he has the greatest catch of his life. So much so it says that the nets are are, are about ready to burst. He has to call in all his buddies from the shore just to help get all the fish back to the shore. And this is why I say this. Because if you can just get Jesus on your boat, then anything is possible. If Jesus can get on your boat, then the the failure that you experienced before will become a great success because you're no longer doing it in your own qualifications and power. You're now doing it with God's qualifications and power. You just need to get Jesus on your boat. And here's the encouragement. He's already there. He lives inside of you. He's already on your boat. I realize I'm spitting a lot. I apologize for the front row. This is like when you go to SeaWorld and they have the splash area. I'm going to stand back here and I just talk like this the rest of the time. I'm sorry. I feel like you guys aren't going to come back, but I, I want you to come back. Maybe just sit in the second row next time. Apologize. You've got to get Jesus on your boat because miracles happen when he's on your boat. The impossible becomes possible. There's Moses standing there making every excuse in the world why he can't go. But God tells him, man, I'm going to be with you. You can do it. And makes a pact with God, I'm just going to trust you. And he goes, but wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, God, what, what if I go there and the Israelites don't believe that I actually talk to you? Like they don't actually believe you've sent me? Who should I say you are, God? And God has this kind of crazy response. He says, if they ask who I am, I want you to tell them, I am. I am. It's a weird name if you think about it, but but it makes a lot of sense. He says, tell them, I am sent you. What is God saying? I want you to tell them that I am everything that you need. I am that lawyer in a courtroom. I am your bomb in Gilead. If you need a a healer in a sick room, I am that. If you need a way out of no way, I'm your way out of no way. You let them know that I am sent you. I am. I am. I'm everything that you need. Man, he had a stick in his hand. Delivered the Israelites from the most powerful army in the world at that time with a stick. Why? Because I am. Because I am. See, in the middle of all this, you just got to trust that that God's going to give you every ability, every ounce of of power that you need so that that dream comes to pass. It's time to make a pact with God saying, God, in the middle of all this, I'm just going to trust you. See, when God puts that on your heart, it's not to tease you. It's not to break your heart. It's not to, to make you want something that you're never going to be able to have. It's because he says, together we can do it. Just link up with me together, we can do it. When you look at yourself, you see nothing. But when God looks at you, he sees infinite possibility. He sees infinite ability. When God looks at you, he sees so much more than you'll ever see. I want to tell you two quick stories and then I'm, then I'm done here and, in 1995, NASA took a huge, huge risk. In 1995, NASA had this uh, Hubble t- uh, Space Telescope. You guys ever heard of the Hubble? It was like in the 19, I think, 80s. It was it was actually launched. This costs NASA a million dollars a day to operate. It takes pictures of, uh, it's out in space, it takes pictures of all these amazing stars and galaxies. Like, it takes amazing, amazing pictures. And in 1995, NASA decided we're going to take a risk. They said, I wonder, we've been seeing all these amazing images. What would happen if we point this telescope at this little speck of sky where there's nothing at all? What would happen? Now, it's a million dollars a day, so it's not like if they point it there that there's no cost to it. There's a huge cost to it. But they say, I wonder what would happen. So they convince each other and say, you know what, let's try it out. Let's see what is in that speck of nothing. And they take that space telescope and they point it at this point of sky where there is no stars, there's just nothing in there. In fact, it makes up one 24th millionth of the sky. That's a very hard word to say. Let me point that out. But here's what that means. If you cut the sky into 24 million separate sections, it's one of those. So we're talking about like a pin uh, needle. I mean, we're talking about the head of a needle here. It's this little speck in the sky where there's nothing and they point it there. Who knows what we're gonna see? See, when you look at yourself, you see nothing, but God sees so much more than you'll ever see. When they look at this speck, they see nothing at all, but then they point that telescope there and guess what they saw? They saw nothing. There was nothing there. Nothing. They shouldn't have tried that, but but they did it. They said, you know what? I wonder what happens if we leave it for two days. A million dollars a day. I wonder what's going to happen if we leave it for two days. After two days, there was nothing there. Three days, nothing there. Four days, nothing there. Five days, nothing there. One week, nothing there. See, the reality is this. When God tells you I'm with you, you can do it. I'm putting this on your heart for a reason. Man, you're going to take that step of faith, but guess what? You're not always going to feel it when you're taking that step. You've got to keep coming back to God. Keep saying, God, I'm going to keep coming back until that dream finally does come to pass. Man, God, I'm still as broke today as I was yesterday, but you've called me to do this. Man, keep taking that step because eventually someone's going to show up. Something's going to show up. God is going to do it. So they point at this nothing, they leave it there for two weeks, million dollars a day, $14 million. And as they leave it there, after two weeks, something amazing happens. All of a sudden, there's a point of light that shows up. In this speck of nothing, they see a point of light, and then they see another point of light, and another one, and another one, and another one. See, light takes a while to travel, and all of a sudden, after two weeks, they start to see these lights showing up. And there's, before they know it, 3,000 points of light in this speck of nothing in the sky. And they say, oh, my God, this is so amazing. There's 3,000 stars where we thought there was nothing at all. There's 3,000 stars. And we didn't think there was anything there. And then all of a sudden, one of the experts, he starts to examine it, and he says, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Those aren't stars. Those aren't stars. It's just dust on the lens. Wouldn't that be a terrible way if we just ended it where it was like they were wrong? Guys, it's just dirty. you got to clean the lens. He tells them, he goes, no, those aren't, those aren't stars. Those are galaxies. Those aren't 3,000 stars. Those are 3,000 galaxies. They call this the deep uh, field uh, picture. Do you know that the average galaxy has between 100 and 400 million stars in it? Do you understand that the math on here, I can't even do it, it's 3,000 times 100 to 400 million stars in this little speck of nothing in the sky, that there was that many stars, that many galaxies? That's why the Bible says I can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. Man, where you see nothing, God has 3,000 galaxies. They actually did it about a decade later and they pointed at that same spot again and they didn't see 3,000 galaxies. Now they saw 10,000. In this little speck of nothing, where nothing existed. Man, when you look at yourself, you see nothing. You see no ability. You see no resources. You say, I don't know how it's ever gonna happen. Man, God sees so much more than you ever would realize. He says, if you just link up with me, we can do it. Together, we can do it. Together, the impossible becomes possible. And I want to close with this story. That's also my cue for Laura, you can come up. I mess this up every week, and I I always go up to Laura after, and I say, man, I messed up, I forgot to tell you I'm closing. See, here's the reality. Like I said, when God puts that calling on your heart, most of us, we just bury it in the ground because we're too afraid to risk failure. We're too afraid just to have our hearts broken. But, but that desire is there for a reason. For a lot of us, we put it in a cave and we've, we've rolled a stone in front of it. And we're like, we're done. We're not even attempting to go back. For many of us, we start to look at our age or we look at the resources we have. We look at our ability. We see, we see all these reasons why we can't do it. But can I tell you that God is the God of the impossible? See, there's a moment in the Bible when this guy Lazarus, who who Jesus loves, he loves him. Now, Jesus loves everyone, but the Bible points out that he really loved Lazarus. He really loved Lazarus. He loved that whole family. And Jesus is out teaching one day, and these people come up to Jesus, and they, they say, Hey, Jesus, that one that you love, Lazarus, he's, he's sick, man. You gotta hurry and, and leave what you're doing because you gotta heal him because he might not make it. And Jesus doesn't go. In fact, even the disciples are like, hey, are, are we gonna go? Jesus, you, you heard that. Are we gonna go? And Jesus tells them, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep. What he means is he's dead. He tells the disciples, no, we're not going. Lazarus has fallen asleep. But he's gonna rise again. Jesus stays there teaching for four days. Can I tell you why that's significant? Now, this is an erroneous thought, but but back in that time period, the culture thought that if you died for three days, your soul, your spirit would hover above the body. So the thought back in those days was that within the three-day period, your soul could re-enter the body, and even though you were dead, you could be alive again within three days. Jesus goes on the fourth day. Why? Because he goes when there's no hope. He goes when when all uh, possibility is gone. He goes on the fourth day. Some of you sitting in here right now are on the fourth day. Man, I've had that dream for 25 years. God, I'm on day four. It's impossible. I'm too old to even do it. You're on day four. God shows up on on day four. Jesus shows up on on day four. And as he's walking over there, here comes Mary. Mary runs up to Jesus in tears. And she's like, Jesus, my brother's dead. If only you would have shown up sooner. Many of us do the same thing. God, if only you showed up sooner. Man, if only you showed up sooner in my life. If only I got my, my act together sooner, God. Who knows what could have happened? But now it's too late. She says, Jesus, if only you showed up sooner, you could have done something, but now it's too late. It's day four. She's heartbroken. She starts to think to herself, I'm sure like, man, you said you were always going to be there for me. You said you would always be there for us, and when we needed you the most, you were gone. It's day four, Jesus. She says, if only you came here, and I, I can picture her just, Crying, heartbroken, walking away. Walking away from Jesus. Both sad and angry at the same time. Man, where were you, God? But then something breaks in her heart. And she turns around. And she looks at Jesus. And she says, it's too late, it's too late. But then she looks at him and she goes, but even now, Lord. But even now, Lord. I'm telling you, some of you in here need a but even now type of faith. Oh, I know I'm old. Oh, I know I'm broke as a joke. I know I got that arthritic hip. I don't even have a car, right? I I don't know how it's going to happen, God. But even now, I believe you can do it. Even now, God, you need a but even now type of faith. She says, I know it's too late. I know it's day four. I know it's too late. I know if you were here sooner, you could have done something. But even now, I believe you can do it. It's a, but even now type of faith and i'm sure in that moment jesus his heart breaks as well and he tells them to do something extraordinary he says roll away that stone some of your dreams some of your calling some of your god-given desires right now are in that cave with a stone in front of it and that's what jesus is telling you here this morning roll away that stone roll away that stone he tells them roll away that stone He says, you have no idea what I'm capable of. Roll away that stone. It's an even now type of faith. Roll away that stone and see what I can do. And they roll away that stone. And he just says, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, Lazarus all wrapped up in whatever they wrap him up in, death clothes and like a mummy, starts to come out like a Michael Jackson thriller video. It's a Starts popping and locking on. every. I mean, he's he's there. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you today. He says, man, you've locked it up for too long. Maybe it's not a dream. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's love. You've locked it up there, and he says, today I want you to roll away that stone. Watch what I can do. He said, oh, there's a cost to not doing it. But when you do it, miracles take place. When you do it, the impossible becomes possible. When you do it, I do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or think. All you got to do is roll away that stone here today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close down service?